No, let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, there we are. Give me one second. New mic, I gotta figure out how it works. <laughs> Is it on? Yes. Okay. That's good. That's good news. Alright. Find a place to clip it. Okay, I'm set up. I promise. Alright, well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sean, I'm the associate pastor here, and I am happy to see your faces after a couple of weeks of me not getting to be here. Um, my wife and I were, um, I was preaching, she was uh, doing the worship at the racetrack a couple of weeks ago, and last week she was out of town and I was sick, so um, this is the first week I've got to see you in a, in a while, and I am very happy to do it. You're all smiling, you're all happy, you're all ready to glorify God. It's awesome. I'm glad to see it. All right. Well, we are going to be continuing in the trek through 1 Samuel. So if you have a Bible or a Bible on your device, you can turn, flip, or turn on to there, whichever applies to you. <clears throat> and we're going to be uh, in chapter 8. And because of the nature of chapter 8, we will probably be finishing up chapter 8. Um, that's the intention, um, but I also don't want to keep you here until your dinner time. So, I'm going to do my best, and we're going to go through the rest of this chapter as best we can. So, chapter 8, uh, Brother Jeff left off in verse 8, so we pick it up in verse 9, but for the sake of context, we're going to be reading the whole chapter. So, if you have found it and you are able, I do ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Again, that is 1 Samuel chapter 8. Reading the whole chapter. And the word of God says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a judge or king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your gain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. And he will take your male servants your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day, because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. 
that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his own city. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne, Lord, to worship you. Lord, because you are worthy of our worship, you are beyond worthy of our worship. You are worthy of the worship that we can provide. You're worthy of the worship we can't provide. You are worthy. And Lord, in your worthiness, you have not chosen to remain distant and anonymous, Lord, but you have instead communicated to your people by your word, which we have been so blessed to read. So God, we pray this morning, today, you would open the eyes of your people by your spirit that you would illuminate your word and again by your spirit apply it to the lives of your people so that we may leave, may leave here holy as you are holy in Jesus name we pray Amen you may be seated All right, so before we dive in, let's go ahead and get a little bit of context, um, see where we've been so far in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you recall, we opened with a couple who was having trouble um, having a child. And then the, uh, the wife prays to God for the child. She uh, even promises to dedicate the child to the Lord um, or, uh, or if he were pleased to, uh, to grant them one. And lo and behold, God smiles on her and grants her a child. They named him Samuel, and um, after he is weaned, he is, in fulfillment of the oath, turned over to the service of God in the, tem in the temple under the high priest of Eli. And it is there that he grows. Um, he grows in the knowledge of the Lord. He grows in service to the Lord. And we are also, during that time, introduced to Eli's two sons, um, who are, um, we'll say, scoundrels. Not great guys, um, very, uh, not just unpopular, but uh, abusive in their power uh, and using their positions to, um, to abuse the people and to even take for themselves more than they are, more than they should, more than they are licensed to. And not just, uh, not just abhorring the sacrifices of the people themselves, but getting, getting the people because of their behavior to loathe the sacrifices to God. So we're introduced to them. Um, Samuel continues to grow. Um, a pronouncement is, uh, is proclaimed against the, uh, against the house of, and the, particularly the sons of Eli by Samuel and by another prophet. And these are fulfilled when Israel goes to war. And Israel goes to war with the Philistines. They are, uh, and they, they are, not faring well, they're, they're doing very poorly. Um, they are, in fact, uh, doing so poorly that they say, hey, let's go grab the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out because that, that's how we're going to win, is by treating the Ark of the Covenant like a token or a ritual that we can, we can bring out to appease God and to get him to do our bidding. And so they do. And it does absolutely nothing for them. In fact, things get a lot worse. They are completely routed. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is taken, and Eli's two sons, in fulfillment of the prophecy, are killed. And then the, uh, the news is brought to Eli. He is, uh, he is also, he has a heart attack, we believe, something to the, of that nature, when he is told the news of his sons and the Ark. Um, one of his son's wives goes into birth. And the child is named Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. The ark then goes on a, what is supposed to be a victory march throughout the uh, five major Philistine cities. And it is not a victory march because everywhere the ark goes, trouble follows. 
Um, and that trouble is typically in the form of pestilence and plague. The people become sick and they start dying. And then the Philistines finally decide, we're just going to give it back. This is way too much trouble. So they give it back. They give it over, uh, or they set it on a cart, put some ox to it, let it go. And uh, it ends up, <clears throat> it ends up uh, back in Israelite territory where it remains for a while. Um, and then we are brought to, uh, to the ministry of Samuel, the one that was prayed for so fervently in the beginning. Um, and the ministry that he has among the people. And again, the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And um, we see a very significant chapter in the life of the Israelites where they go to Samuel and they implore him to fast and pray to God so that he may bring them victory. And Samuel does. And lo and behold, the Lord wins the battle against the Philistines to the point to where the Philistines are chased back to their own territory and territory that was in their hands is now reclaimed by Israel. And it is at the tail end of this that we come to chapter 8, our chapter today. Brother Jeff did a fantastic job of uh, getting us through the first eight verses talking about uh, Samuel um, having grown in his role having judged Israel, um, even going on a circuit yearly to different cities to, uh, so that he could hear cases, so that he could bring justice, bring, uh, bring the word of God um, to the people of Israel. And then, as we see in the beginning of our chapter, Samuel gets old. Um, we think he's probably about 60 uh, during this time. Um, and he has... It has not been an easy 60. I mean, the man's been serving God faithfully and hard for those 60 years. And so he um, needs help. So he appoints his sons as judges. And they go down to the lower portion of Beer or the lower portion of the territory in Beersheba. Um, if you recall, there's the, uh, the old adage that we see throughout the Old Testament where they, when they're talking about the territory of Israel, they say from Dan to Beersheba. So Beersheba being the southernmost portion. And it is here that we discover that, like Eli's sons before them, Samuel's sons are not walking in the way of the Lord. They're not walking even in the way of their father. They're not even imitating their father as their father seeks to imitate Christ. They are simply perverting justice by taking bribes and seeking only dishonest gain, seeking only after what they can get, much like Eli's sons before them. And then the people, and rightly so, are upset by this. Um, but the plan they come up with, and the reasons behind it, not great. <clears throat> not great. It's not that wanting a king is bad. It's that the reasons they want a king are bad. The reasons they want a king are not so that they can be, they can be brought closer to God, be made holier, um, so they can walk more according to the word of God. No, they want a king to be like the rest of the nations. This is a this is a complete defiance of the reason that these people even exist. That the reason these people have been chosen by God, God has called these people out not to be like all the other nations, but to be a light to the nations. How can you be a light to the nations when you walk in the same darkness they walk in? So, they want to be like the rest of the nations. <clears throat> and the thing, uh, according to the words, uh, displeased Samuel. Literally, it means the thing was evil in the eyes of Samuel. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord says to Samuel something quite shocking. Give them what they want. And... I submit to you that sometimes God's harshest punishments are delivered in giving us exactly what we want. So he says, give them what they want. And he, and he but he comforts Samuel saying, um, and saying, they're, they're not rebelling against you. They're doing something far worse. They're rebelling against you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, 
And in true form of the God who never changes, a servant is not greater than his master. And so because they're rejecting me, they are rejecting you. And that brings us to verse 9 where we will pick up. And it's the end of the Lord's response to Samuel. He says, now therefore heed their voice, give them what they want. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them literally means testify strongly against them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Your translation may say something to the effect of um, show them the customs of the king that will reign over them or something to that effect. The idea here isn't show them how a king should act. Don't tell them how a king should act. No, what he's saying here is tell them what the king is going to do. Not that, not what he should do, but what he will do. How he will abuse his power. And how he will use it not to bring them closer to me. Or even to give them what they think they want. But will in fact use it to make them his servants. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. Who had asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will even run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So the first thing Samuel warns the people about is that this king that you're asking for, he's going to take your sons. He's going to take your sons away from, away from the family, away from their familial responsibilities, away from the family business. And he's going to bring them into his own service. And what is that service going to look like? Well, it's going to start with he's going to have servants to look after his chariots, to ride his horses, to care for them, and to even go before his chariots. This idea of a, of a footman, essentially. Um, the more footmen you had as a king, uh, the bigger a deal you were claiming to be. Um, so he's saying that there will be some who go before his chariots as a symbol of his own greatness that he is trying to build up in the eyes of the people and the surrounding nations, but also to serve as his own personal guard, to keep himself protected and, to, and, and also to care for his horses. And he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Samuel said, you know how we have an army? When the need arises, well, now we're going to have a standing army. And not only we're going to have a standing army, there's going to be some of your sons will be uh, forced to serve for their lives so that they can be the professional soldiers to train those who come in. And the idea here over captains of thousands and captains of fifties being that not just a few sons, a lot of your sons a lot of your sons are going to be uh, conscripted into the service. And this captains over thousands and captains of 50 is like, even when times get get rough and maybe there's not gonna, we're not going to need a huge standing army, there's still going to be a standing army because the king is going to declare it a need. So there will be captains of thousands, captains of 50s. And to support this standing army, there will be some who plow his ground, reap his harvest, make his weapons and equipment for his chariots. Because you can't have a standing army without equipment, without weapons, without arm, armament. You can't have a standing army that is ready to receive blows and not give them back. So not only will you, your sons be uh, drafted to serve in the army, 
Those that aren't, those that don't serve directly in fighting forces, will be drafted to support them. He is saying the cost is high. The cost is something perhaps you have not considered. And not only will the king take your sons, he will also take your daughters. And your daughters will serve as perfumers. If you have an older translation, it may say um, confectionaries. Makers of sweets. Things that smell sweet, things that taste sweet. And, and also as cooks and as bakers. So not only will this king, who you are so adamant about asking for, not only will he take your sons, but that's not going to be enough, so he's also going to take your daughters. And he's going to draft your daughters to cook and to make bread and to even prepare sweet-smelling aromas for the sake of the king and his servants. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and not just keep them to himself, but give them to his servants. Why? Because he's saying, this king will be drafting so many people. Well, they've got to make a, they've got to make a living somehow. They need something. They need land. They need stuff. They need uh, they need land that produces food for them, as well as for the household of the king. So, not only will he take sons and take daughters, he will also take land, and he will say, "This land that was yours, it's needed royal business, and it's going to go to." His servants, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. And not being satisfied with the land that he is using or that he's taking to give to those he has conscripted into his service, but also a tenth of what you provide off of your remaining land. He's also going to take that too. What's the point here? The point is that they're, what they're asking for is very expensive. And it's not what they're, that what they're asking for is bad. It's that what they're asking for and the reasons they're asking for it are not godly. They're not asking, as mentioned earlier, they're not asking for a king to help them on the road to holiness. They're not asking for a king to help them to follow the commands and precepts of the Lord. They're asking for a king to be like everybody else. They're asking for a king so that they can, looking at the other nations, decide that's how they want to be. So what are they doing? They are judging externally. They are judging according to appearances. They are looking at the surrounding nations. They're looking at the Philistines. They're looking at the Amorites. And they're saying, these people all have kings and they whipped us pretty good a couple times. Maybe what we need is a king. Having already forgotten the clear display of God's power at Mizpah, where he, God himself, defeated the army of the Philistines. And not just defeated, destroyed and chased out But they have forgotten that already, and instead they are looking to see only from the outside that other nations have a king, and well, maybe if we have a king, we'll be great like them. And so because of this, because you can't just have a king, but you need an entire infrastructure to support a king. He's saying not only will he take what he needs, he's going to take more. He's going, this king that you want, this king that you are judging by appearances, this king that you are looking at these other nations and, and you're saying, they're leaders. Tall, good-looking guy. And he seems to be able to 
rally the troops. And he seems to be able to get them to do what, do his bidding and do what's best for them. Maybe that's what we need. And we see how well this turns out when God gives them exactly what they want in the person of Saul. So that's what they see. And so because this king needs an infrastructure, because not being satisfied with what is provided, he always wants more. He's saying he will take and take and take. The word take here is used multiple times throughout this passage. Verses 11 through 17, the word take, the verb take is the most common verb. He will take and take and take. He will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men, your translation may say your finest cattle, that's fine, that's from the Septuagint, and your donkeys and put them to his work. Not being satisfied with your offspring, not being satisfied with your sons and your daughters, not being satisfied with your land, and even an additional tenth of what it is you're making, what it is you're producing, on the, your, the remaining amount of your land, he's going to take your servants. He's going to take your servants, he's going to take animals, and he's going to use them to plow and till this land and to grow crops on the land that he's already taken from you for his servants. And realize that this tenth that he's taking is an additional tenth. At this point, your average Israelite is given roughly 20% to the temple for the service of, of the Lord, for upkeep, for offerings, and for, and for uh, the Levites who serve there. A tenth for that. Or two tenths for that, and then an additional tenth. We're talking 30%. These people are giving away 30% of everything they produce. Or at least that's the warning. And he will take a tenth also of your sheep. So we've got your kids, we've got your land, we've got your produce, we've got your animals. And then finally he says, and you yourselves will be his servants. Now I think there's two things going on here with this, you will be his servants. I think it's both literal in the sense that you will be at the service of the king, whatever that might be. It's also, I think, a little metaphorical and physical in that the freedom you experience now will be but a memory. Because you will be so oppressed by the abuse of this king's power that you will be you will feel completely enslaved when in reality who was the king they already had when in reality who was their sitting king and who had gone out not too long ago to fight their battles it was the Lord. <laughs> and they turned their back on him to reject him. Because they wanted a physical king they could see that looked good so that they could be like everybody else. And Samuel was saying, what you're asking for is going to be your own undoing. And verse 18, you will cry out, in that day, because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. I can think of many times in my own life where I have stubbornly and insistently wanted what I wanted. Even convinced myself to the point to where well, I want what I want because it's godly. Want, I want what I want because it can be used for the glory of God. And God in his infinite wisdom, and I mean that sincerely, 
knew that it was not good for me. But because I was stubborn, because I was insistent, because I thought I knew best, he gave it to me. And when he gave it to me, I felt enslaved. When he gave it to me, when he gave me that thing which I wanted, which I just knew was going to solve all of my problems, all it did was cause more. There are many things God withholds from his children, not because he's mean, not because he's unfair, not because he's enjoyed watching you throw a tantrum. He withholds things because he knows better and because he loves us. And sometimes he lets us have what we want to show us that he knows better and that his interests have our best interests at heart. So when God withholds something from his people, it's never just to do it. We don't serve a sadistic God who sits on his throne like a tyrant and who gives garbage and withholds necessities just because he thinks it's fun. We don't serve that kind of God. And far be it from us forever ever accusing God of being mean just because we don't get what we want. Amen. But instead we serve a loving God. We serve the true and living God. We serve a compassionate and merciful God who not only provides us with our daily needs, who not only grants us the breath that we need to keep going and the food that we need to sustain ourselves and the water that we need to survive. We serve the God who grants us so much more. We serve the God who, even in our spiritual neediness, met us there and provided for that need, provided for a holiness that we lacked. Not just the holiness that we lacked, the holiness that we scoffed at, a holiness that we mocked, provided that holiness in his son Jesus Christ so that we could be his people just as we just sang once an enemy now seated at his table he provided that and yet we, some, we sometimes I'll speak for myself how often do I want something and when I don't get it I am so quick to forget the blessings that he has heaped upon me forgetting that anything he has not given me he has a reason for even if the thing seems good we saw in Deuteronomy 17 God makes provision for a future king of Israel when they come into the promised land, he says, you will ask for a king. And these are the requirements. These are the stipulations for having a king. He sets that out in Deuteronomy 17. So they're not asking for something bad. But the version of what they're asking for, the reasons why they're asking is terrible. It's awful. And it speaks to the truth of the wicked desires of our hearts. So God says, I will give them a king. I'll give them exactly what they want. They're not content with my leadership. They're not content on waiting for my time. I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them. And this king is going to take and take 
take and take. And when they finally realize, they will cry out in that day because of the king they have chosen for themselves. And this word cry out, this phrase, is the same phrase used all throughout the book of Judges when the children of Israel cried out to God to deliver them from an external king that was invading their territory and taking them hostage. They would cry out to God against this foreign king and now Samuel is warning them you will one day cry out against the king you've selected yourself. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Sometimes Sometimes God lets us live out the physical consequences of our own stupid and simple decisions. Sometimes God lets us do that. And I think that is good and right and just. Because to be quite frank, I'm hard-headed. I don't know about you, I have a thick skull. Sometimes i got to learn a lesson twice. And I mean... I mean a lesson, ones that hurt. Sometimes I gotta learn those babies twice before the message gets, before the message sinks in. And so there is a place in God's economy for reaping what you sow. And just as the Israelites are selecting for themselves a king based solely on external factors. He's going to let them live that. He's going to let them create this anticipated utopia, but very realistic hell. He's going to let them sit there. Knowing all of this, knowing all of this, knowing that everything Samuel had said, that the cost of a king is much more expensive than they had considered, knowing that it is not going to be the way they think it's going to be, but it's going to require them much more than they will be willing to pay. <coughs> Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Brother Ivan this morning read, read a psalm passage in the scriptures about the confidence of David, a future king of Israel, according to this time. And his confidence in the God that he knows the God who he loves, the God who he serves, his confidence in this God to proclaim boldly that God will hear him and answer his prayer. Not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but out of confidence in the God that he knows. Here we have a very different situation. We have, despite the warnings we have, despite the caution that is being laid before them, the, the forewarning of the consequences to come spelled out for them, they declare, we will have a king. That is how far the rejection of the Almighty has gone. They have rejected him and his servant to the point that they say, regardless of what you say, we will have a king. We want what we want, and you will not stop us. 
what they're doing here is actually issuing a challenge to God. God is, God is sending Samuel to let them know the consequences, the price of kingship, of having a king, the king that they want, the one who looks good in armor, at the front line leading the battle. And they say, Samuel, we're going to have a king. There's nothing you or God can do to stop us. This is what they're saying. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying quite the opposite. I'm saying this is pride. <laughs> this is sin. This is evil. Samuel was correct. This, this is, in his assessment of their request, this was evil in the eyes of Samuel. This is objectively evil. Because they want what they want and they will not be told them. No, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, the reason they've already said, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They think that having this king, this tall, good-looking guy, they think this is going to make life better. They think this is going to solve everything. They think this is the answer to all of their problems. Even after being told beforehand that, no, you think you have problems now? You're really going to have problems when you get the king you want. But they say no. They have rejected the lordship of God to the point to where they don't even know that what they're asking for is evil. Despite the increasing evidence they are so convinced that they want something good that they're going to have it one way or another. Even without Samuel's blessing, they're saying, Samuel, if you're not going to appoint the king over us, we'll find somebody. A king to be like everybody else. A king to judge us, which is what you're doing, Samuel. And we know that historically God has always raised up another judge, but we don't really want to wait for that. And a king who will go out before us and fight our battles despite the fact that God himself, not too long ago, in recent memory of these people, fought and won a battle for these people. And that's just if you want to go back within Samuel's lifetime. We can go back farther, as God himself did in the passage, uh, in the passage that was looked at last, uh, last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, uh, where God brought them out of the land of Egypt. The Exodus, the milestone event in the life of the nation of Israel that everything goes back to. The God who had done this. And it's not good enough. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes, sometimes that's me. Sometimes I forget everything God has done for me. Sometimes I forget everything, every blessing that God has poured on me. Sometimes I forget every battle in my life that God has fought and won. Sometimes I forget every exodus out of sin that God has brought me from. And when I want something, even something like a child, and God says no, Rather than trusting in God who knows all. I get selfish. And I let my pain take over. And rather than taking that pain to the cross. Rather than taking that pain to the foot of the throne of God like Hannah did. I lash out and I say, God, I will have what I want. Because I, because I, because even, even 
I'm convinced that because what I want is good, therefore I can have it at all costs. <coughs> and that's not the case. God withholds from his children out of love. God provides and gives to his children out of love. That's the point is that they've forgotten the God by whose name they are called. Israel struggles with God. That's their name. God is in their name. And they've forgotten the God they serve. My friend, we are Christians. Christ is in the name. Do not forget the Christ you serve. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. God didn't need that. God knew what they were saying. What they were saying. God knew everything that was going on. God knew the hearts of these people before Samuel did. God knew how hell-bent these people were on getting the king that they thought they needed before Samuel did. But Samuel, in true fashion, to the man that God himself has raised him to be, went to the Lord in prayer. Just as he did at the first, so he does here at the last. And he prays. I imagine that prayer was not a dry prayer. I imagine there was weeping. I imagine there was sincere emotion. Obviously, I can't say he cried. It's not, it's not in the text. But I imagine he cried. Because he knew <laughs> from God's own words how this was going to end up. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. God said, let them have it. And what did this do? This wound up being the backdrop to the king that God had for them all along. The wicked rule of Saul, the first king, set the stage for the promised king, David, who came later. So that when this happened, when everything Samuel warned them about happened, when this when this king got in and he took and he took and he took and he took and he did not give back, they appreciated the promised king all the more. My friend, sometimes God is going to give you exactly what you want. And sometimes he's going to give you exactly what you want despite it not being the fulfillment of his promises for you. Because he knows that in receiving exactly what you want, it is going to set the stage that you appreciate what he gives you exactly what you need. Exactly what he has for you. That's why the Christian life doesn't begin on the deathbed. That's why the Christian life doesn't begin with our last breath. That's why your Christian life isn't get saved, die, end up in hell. It's to bring us along on the road of sanctification so that as we struggle here, we can glorify there. So God gave them what they wanted and told Samuel to heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his own city. He's saying, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your demands. Go home, and a decision will be made. 
Instead, you're getting what you want. Wait for the news. So let me encourage you today, Christian, brother, sister, whoever you are, if you are in Christ, don't be so wrapped up in what you want that you forget the God you serve. And when you get exactly what you think you want, and it doesn't end up the way you thought it would, it is not a waste of opportunity. It is God setting the stage to give you exactly what you need and what He's promised to give you. This doesn't mean that job you had your eye on. It doesn't mean the car you've always dreamed of. It doesn't mean the house that would be just so perfect for you and your family. It means the things you actually need as his child. And the things we need above all else are to be able to glorify his name and to be made holy as he is holy. That's what he's preparing to give you. Let all the no's and all the not yet's and even the yeses that end up being cursed blessings. Let them be just reminders of the God that you serve. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne. Lord, to give you the praise. Lord, to give you the glory. Lord, to confess our sin and how badly we want what we want. Lord, to confess our sin and wanting what we want so much that we choose to get it any way we can, regardless of the cost. Forgive us. Bring us further along the road of sanctification. Make us holy as you are holy so that we may see as you see. So that we can let go when you say no. That we may cling all the more tightly to your yeses. This is our prayer. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the ultimate yes and amen. Amen.